Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Facebook, I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, a big tech company walkout over immigration policy and San Francisco bans Juul. But first, Democrats take the stage. So tonight is the first of what will be countless debates between the Democratic Party's candidates for president. 10 participate tonight, including Elizabeth Warren, while 10 go tomorrow, including Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And just to make things a little more crowded, NBC has opted for three questioners during each evening. The big political question, of course, is if someone can hop atop this looming train wreck in a way that garners them more positive attention than the other nine, or the other 19, I guess. The big policy question, in my opinion, will be how the collective group frames its economic message. To be clear, these candidates aren't letting low unemployment or strong GDP stop them from talking economics. In fact, a study of candidate tweets by Hamilton Place Strategies finds that the economy exceeds the next five domestic issues put together, including things like climate. And around half of that talk is about jobs and wages, while the rest involves things like trade and taxes. Yes, This is playing on Trump's strongest turf, but perhaps is also a bet that conditions will have changed once next November rolls around. In 10 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios' Alexi McCammond, who is in Miami for tonight's debate. But first, this. If you're going to see ads, you probably want to see ads that feel relevant to you. Personalized advertising is why so much of the internet is free. To learn more, visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. We're joined now by Axios' Alexi McCammond, who is in Miami for tonight's debate. Let's just start kind of with the mood there. And I know it's kind of tough to gauge with so many candidates, but is there generally excitement by the campaigns that they're finally getting to it or apprehension because 10-person debates, well, aren't really debates? You know, there's certainly excitement from some campaigns, but I was just standing next to John Delaney as we were creating spots for a TV hit. And he definitely seemed a little nervous. He was standing up above the debate stage on these risers with his arms crossed, just sort of intently staring at the stage. And I think that's in part because of the general nerves that come with doing something like this, but also because he had just learned that he will be the first person walking out onto the stage tonight. So I think someone like him is definitely nervous. But then there's other folks who are excited to have an opportunity to talk to 20 million plus viewers for the first time when they're all kind of relatively unknown, except for Beto O'Rourke and Elizabeth Warren. You write this morning about how some strategists are telling you that candidates shouldn't be trying to create these viral moments, even though that seems to kind of run counter to conventional wisdom, right? Which is 10 candidates tonight, 10 tomorrow. You need to get that five second, 10 second Twitter clip or no one's going to pay attention to you. So why avoid that or not try to get it? So as you mentioned, the viral moment strategy is something campaigns have been using so far on the campaign trail. But the Democratic strategists and even campaign aides that I've talked to have said that tonight and tomorrow night are just not the opportunity to do that because it's really an introduction to voters for the first time. Yes, people like Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have good name ID, but a lot of the people on stage have no name ID. There's a lot of folks around the country going to be wondering who in the hell these people are standing on the stage tonight and tomorrow. So tonight is really an opportunity to just tell your story, introduce yourself to people. But interestingly, strategists say one way that you could stand out is to really take on President Trump, to show that you would be tough in a general election against him. And it's not just someone like Joe Biden who could defeat him. And you wrote about how kind of that's not something that a lot of these candidates have done on the trail, not because they're obviously pro-Trump, but because it's not the thing that they really get asked about in the little town halls because there's a presumption that they're obviously anti, you know, running against Trump. Right, exactly. So voters around the country, especially when I've been on the trail, are not asking candidates about President Trump. They're not asking about impeachment. They're not asking about him at all, really. These candidates only talk about him if national reporters are asked about 
about it. But strategists and campaign aides advise that tonight and tomorrow at the debate, you should take on President Trump, not only because it will detract support from Joe Biden, they hope, who has been seen and viewed as the most tough against Trump in a general election, but it will show the different ways in which these candidates can really stand up to the incumbent president. And poll after poll shows that a majority of Democratic primary voters want a Democratic nominee who they think can beat President Trump in a general election. And that factor, electability and the ability to defeat Donald Trump, really is more important to these voters than even things like race or gender or political ideology. So that's why we might hear more folks talking about Donald Trump tonight and tomorrow than we have for the entire primary season so far. Do you expect we're going to hear a lot about economics? And I, and I ask in the context, we, we published this Hamilton Place uh, strategies survey or, or survey of kind of the candidates' Twitter feeds over the last couple of months, which showed on a policy perspective that economics and whether that be jobs or wages is the thing that has dominated their Twitter feeds. But when you talk about Trump, that's kind of his strongest ground, at least right now. So do we expect to hear a lot about that tonight? I would imagine things like immigration, for sure, just given the week of news that we've had in the last couple of days, and healthcare will be the two dominating topics. But as you mentioned, President Trump touts being strong on the economy, both on having a strong economy, the low unemployment rates, and the situation he's having with trade and tariffs around the world. That is one way in which presidential candidates on the Democratic stage can sort of draw a clear contrast between themselves and President Trump is talking about their idea for the economy and how to make it better. But I don't know how much of a focus it'll have tonight and tomorrow, because I think some of these other issues might take precedence. And speaking of things that have been in the news for the past week, you had an interesting note. I think you tweeted this about how during an analysis of several past presidential debates and presidential cycles, rather, issues of sexual harassment, discrimination, et cetera, rarely get asked during these debates when they do. They're almost always by female moderators. And and there are two of those tonight or two female questioners tonight. Do you expect that the rape allegations are going to get raised tonight by a candidate? I was just talking about this with the president of Emily's List a few minutes ago. I mean, in a week in which the president of the United States is being accused of rape, after he's already faced multiple allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment by other women, it would be shocking to me if the year 2019 did not feature a single question about candidates' own sexual harassment policies on the campaign or what they envisioned for a better way forward for the country in terms of how we handle these allegations. I mean, if it doesn't come up tonight, I would be shocked if it didn't come up tomorrow when Joe Biden is on the stage. And we all remember just a few weeks ago when he launched his campaign, he had a little bit of trouble with the way in which he kind of violated, some women said, their personal space in a way that he obviously addressed. But I think voters around the country are looking to hear more about. And that will only happen, as you mentioned, Unfortunately, it seems, based on historical context, if we have women in the seats asking the questions. Thanks to Alexa McCammond, who tonight will be watching the debates from probably the most air-conditioned room in all of Miami. My final two, right after this. Advertisers use ad space as a way to reach people more effectively. And since they know their ads need to be relevant for people to take action, creating more tailored content makes sense. Visit facebook.com about slash ads to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a planned employee walkout today at Wayfair, the home furnishing e-commerce company that's valued by investors at over $13 billion. So unlike some other tech walkouts, this doesn't have anything to do with employee diversity issues. Instead, it's about the immigration and detention crisis that's playing out thousands of miles from Wayfair's Boston headquarters. Specifically, Wayfair recently agreed to sell about $200,000 worth of beds to a Texas migrant detention facility. Nearly 550 employees signed a petition 
petition, asking CEO Naraj Shah to stop working with such customers and ask that any profits be donated to a nonprofit that provides undocumented immigrants with services like legal aid. But Shah declined, with the company saying, quote, we believe in the importance of respecting diversity of thought within our organization and across our customer base. No matter how strongly any one of us feels about an issue, it is important to keep in mind that not all employees or customers agree, end quote. The protest is set for 1.30 p.m. today in Boston's Copley Square. And finally, San Francisco has become the first major U.S. city to ban the sale of e-cigarettes or any other vaping products. Not ban them in certain stores or create a new age restriction, but ban them outright. No sales in brick-and-mortar retailers, nor any online sales that would get delivered to addresses within the city. So to be sure, e-cigarettes have become a very real public health concern, particularly among children and teenagers who, research shows, become more likely to begin smoking combustible products, like regular cigarettes. But bizarrely, you'd still be able to buy a pack of Marlboros in San Francisco, or a beer, or marijuana. Of course, there is a caveat to San Francisco's new rule. It doesn't go into effect until next year and only impacts e-cigarettes that aren't FDA approved. Now, today, that does include all e-cigarettes, including Juul products. But the FDA recently put out relevant application guidelines, so by next year, San Francisco's ban may already be moot. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Coconut Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.